All right. Welcome back, sports fans. It's good to be back for another spin of the Thatcher Effect. Does this Jazz team have a path to the playoffs? Can the Utes survive a potential snowy game on Saturday without their best receiver in Kincaid? Who are the all-time starting five of TV characters? That's all coming up right now on The Thatcher Effect. Five, four, three, two. You're listening to The Thatcher Effect with your hosts, Nate Thatcher and Richie Osler. All right, guys, here are today's Thatcher Effect headlines. Richie, kick us off with some jazz news. Well, the Jazz moved to 6-2 and two on the year and 4-0 at home after two great wins over the Grizzlies. And we were both at one of those games, so we got some, we got some good insights. Um, Laurie Markin and Kelly Olenek both dropped 23 points, including some important three-pointers at the end of the game. Uh, last night, the Jazz took that win a step further and absolutely dominated from the second quarter on a 121 to 105 win. Uh, Markkanen had another stellar game with 31 points, 10 rebounds, and possibly the greatest block of all time at Vivint Arena. Over the next week, the Jazz will play at Dallas, at LA, against both the Lakers and Clippers, and then coming back home to play the Lakers once again. And last week, the number 14 Utah Utes beat the Washington State Cougars up on the Palouse 21 to 17, thanks to a great effort by backup quarterback Bryson Barnes. Barnes was only told that he'd be a starter 40 minutes before kickoff and then went 17 for 27 for 175 yards and a touchdown. So not bad. Freshman and four-string running back Jalen Glover ran for 76 yards and a touchdown on 20 carries as well. The now number 12 use in the AP poll, but number 14 in the new CFP poll, you prepare for a home matchup against the Arizona Wildcats on Saturday at 5.30 local time on Pac-12 Network. So we got some big news topics around the sports world uh, today. The day we're recording of this, there was kind of some crazy stuff going on in the NBA world. And of course, if it didn't revolve around the Lakers, it's probably going to revolve around the Brooklyn Nets who have had just a wild last couple of months. Um, they've started their season two and six. They lost tonight against the Chicago Bulls. And um, this morning they fired Steve Nash and to make things even crazier, they hired Ime Udoka, who was in sexual assault allegations in Boston and was released as the head coach. Um, and it just seems like stuff like this keeps following the, the Brooklyn franchise. And this era of the Nets has been absolutely dramatic. Yeah, this has been kind of crazy. I, I'd like to get your thoughts on the potential new hire of Ime Udoka. I mean, he had a great first run with the Celtics, obviously. Um, do you think that this could potentially help the Nets moving forward, or do you think this might just escalate the drama that's already been there in Brooklyn? Um, it's really hard to say. I do think Ime Odeka had a great year in Boston last year. Um, if people don't remember, Boston was kind of struggling um, up until like halfway through the season. Uh, I don't know if people remember Marcus Smart's comments about Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum not sharing the ball. Uh, it was apparent that there was, you know, some sort of locker room issue. The team wasn't defending at a great rate. But Imu Doka, he kind of was able to rally his guys. Um, he implemented new schemes with the help of assistant coaches Will Hardy and Joe Mazzula, who are both head coaches right now. Um, and honestly, he turned that Celtic season around. So if anybody could help, this Brooklyn Nets team besides Phil Jackson, it might be Ime Odoka. I do think at the end of the day, managing Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant is a very difficult task. Um, neither of those guys are natural leaders. And I think they've shown for the last couple of years that they need some sort of structure. They need somebody to be the guy above them. Um, Kyrie's best years were in Cleveland when he had LeBron. KD's best years were in OKC and Golden State, and he was held accountable in both places by teammates Russell Westbrook, uh, Steph Curry, Draymond Green. So I just I don't see this thing like totally flipping what's going on in Brooklyn. I still think Brooklyn is an incredibly talented team. They have a lot of depth, and when they're healthy, they could be really good. But it does seem like there are just too many issues, and it I don't see why 
in gear four of this iteration of the Nets with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, why this head specific head coach is going to make things work. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how things go moving forward. But I think with all the drama that's going on right now, especially Kevin Durant's an interesting player that I think with the perspective of a coach, I think it'd be very hard to try and get him on track with what you're trying to do if you're trying to implement a new culture out there in Brooklyn. So we'll see how much shakeup there's going to be. Maybe there's some potential trades down the line, but the NFL definitely delivered with some trades earlier today. Maybe the NBA might follow suit. And let's see if the Jazz did that as well, because boy, oh boy, they're off to a hot start. And some other news, uh, of course, keeping it with college football today, the new CFP rankings dropped tonight, the first edition of this year. Utah came in at number 14, so really no change from the AP poll. But we did have some shakeup up at the top. Tennessee comes in at number one, which in my opinion, I agree with. I think what they got the top four right for the most part. But again, some of the reasonings that they gave for some of their other votes were a little sketchy. They had Clemson at, I believe, number five, or excuse me, number three. I think they're three. Nope, they're four. They're four, my bad. (laughs) (laughs) But some of the reasoning that they gave was that TCU wasn't as high because TCU sits at number seven was that, oh, they fell behind in some games. So they weren't really as balanced overall in the game. But meanwhile, I was thinking about Clemson sitting at number four, and they fell behind against Syracuse, which I thought, well, maybe they're not paying attention to games like that, or maybe they just don't care because it's Clemson in a big brand. So as the CFP rankings keep coming out, we'll be able to dive more into, you know, why we're glad it's probably expanding and um, how the Utes are going to fare moving forward because we've got a very, very close race at the top of the Pac-12. But it's time to get jazzy, and we're going to bring up the Utah Jazz right now. So this Utah Jazz segment is brought to you by DraftKings. Basketball's back. So tip off the season with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can make any $5 NBA Moneyline bet and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. And in addition to the usual bets, everyone can boost their winnings up to 100% with DraftKings. Stepped up same game parlays. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, opt in, and place a stepped up same game parlay today. With payouts bigger than ever, DraftKings Sportsbook is where you should go to bet on the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code TBPN and make any $5 bet this week and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Only a DraftKings Sportsbook with promo code TBPN. Minimum, minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. All right, Richie. Let's get into some jazz conversation. I think this is going to be a lot more interesting than I initially thought before the season started. So give me some of your top notes of what you've seen from the jazz eight games into the season. All right. My first note, the first thing that's really struck out to me, there's a lot of things. Let's be real. Um, But the first thing is the jazz's offense is really good. So here's some stats right now. The jazz in the league ranks number one in three pointers attempted and number two in three pointers made. They're fifth in offensive rebounding fifth in assists. Um, currently Mike Conley is leading the team with seven assists per game, but everybody in the starting lineup is averaging over three assists a game um, with the exception of Larry Markinen, who's averaging 2.9. Um, but looking at that, it's obvious that this team is kind of looking at what went wrong last year and is implementing different schemes. I think Will Hardy looked at um, certain members of the Jazz and, you know, especially the guys that came back and he's trying to use them more effectively. I look at Mike Conley and Jordan Clarkson who have both been incredibly willing passers. And to Conley's credit, he's always been a very willing passer. But Jordan Clarkson, he's never been a willing passer. He's always been, you know, he grew up with Kobe. He played with Kobe. He's been like Kobe's guy where he's just shooting all the time. Um, so this seeing this iteration of Jordan Clarkson, where he's averaging five assists a game where he's making um, passes at the end of the game out to Kelly Olynyk for um, a three pointer out to Malik Beasley for a three pointer. It's crazy. It's like Jordan Clarkson has all of a sudden found this new part of his game and he's excelled at it. Uh, granted, he still is a little bit turnover prone, um, but he really has played very well. And I think, you know, this whole jazz lineup, their starting lineup deserves a lot of credit and also their guys on the bench. There's just been a willingness to share the ball that maybe hasn't existed. And so as jazz fans, 
it's really refreshing to see that. Yeah, I think we got used to a very high style of offense, especially in the last two years with the Jazz, when they were the number one seed and last year as well. It was a really high performing offense because obviously you have Donovan, who is even going further than what he did with Utah. I mean, he's averaging some insane amount of points and he's doing really well in Cleveland. But going into this season, especially with the roster that we had, I looked at the skill sets that I had seen from all of these players before. And I honestly thought that the offense wasn't going to be as good as we've seen it. Um, and like you were pointing to before players have elevated their game or um, changed it and adapted it to the system that Will Hardy's starting to run out here in Utah. And with Jordan Clarkson, especially, I mean, now eight games through he's averaging more assists than he has ever before. And I've seen some passes that he's made throughout this, you know, these first few games. And I think he really adds, this is a new part of his game that I think can really add to who he is as a player. We know he's a really good shooter and you can depend on him in clutch moments, but he can also facilitate things. You know, we saw some different combos um, last night and the games before of, you know, maybe Clarkson's kind of running things. And it was interesting to see, and I kind of liked it. And I, I like your point that, this offense has been able to adapt and really thrive in these first few games of the season, which I didn't think again, that these players were going to have as good of an offensive start as they did. But going with that, one of my notes was how really good um, Lori Markin has been through these first eight games. I'll admit I've seen the kid playing college when he was at Arizona. And obviously I've watched a few games when um, he played, um in Chicago and I believe it was was it Cleveland he, obviously we got him from Cleveland where did he did he start in Chicago yeah he started in Chicago was That's there right. for I think two years and then two years in Cleveland yeah and he has the like Porzingis type build right super tall lengthy guy who was obviously supposed to shoot but nothing really stood out to him um stood out to me about him playing before but now through these first eight games, he's really been the star of the show and his teammates have been advocating that, yeah, he's really putting up all-star level type stats. Only through eight games, he has 22.6 points per game, 9.3 rebounds per game, almost three assists per game. Of course, he has that nasty block on Brooks last night that was absolutely amazing and got me on my feet. But Laurie's been a different kind of player than what I've seen in the past when, I've, when I have seen him play. I believe we actually saw him... Um, I, I believe I saw him a few years ago play at Vivian and it, he just felt like a guy that was in the background that he would contribute, but he wasn't really becoming the star of the show. And I feel like even though we're only, you know, less than an eighth of the way through the NBA season, we're really able to see that if you put him in a right environment, he can thrive. What have you thought about marketing so far through these first few games of the season? I've, I've been amazed by him. I think he is an absolutely astounding player. Um, kind of looking back at his last couple of years, uh, last year he was in Cleveland. They would play this really big lineup where they would have Markinen at the three, Mobley at the four, and Allen at the five. And I really feel like the Jazz taking that and letting Markinen be the three or the four, kind of the hybrid in between, has been such a crucial part of his development into the player that he is right now. Um, I also think his preparation playing for Finland uh, this year in Eurobasket was really big because he was always playing with the ball in his hands. And that's not something he really has done before, but now he's taking those things and he's bringing it to this Utah jazz squad. And I think that's a really big part of his success. Um, he's also just, it feels like when you watch him, he's just kind of everywhere. Um, he's always running in for an offensive rebound. He's always making a good cut and he just makes some crazy baskets because of his size seeing this iteration of the jazz where we're playing three big guys um, is so much different than last year, where it seemed like everybody besides Rudy Gobert was undersized. And honestly, it's really refreshing to see. Yeah. The size has been a way different team than what we saw last year. I mean, you're even putting in Malik Beasley, Jared Vanderbilt. Um, I mean, even when you, when you clean deep into the bench last night, like BT Potter and stuff, I'm like, it seems like everyone except Mike and Clarkson, just really have an edge in terms of height and size. And, and I think that is refreshing, not saying that the NBA and 
NCAA men's basketball are, you know, really closely related in terms of how you play the game. But something in regards to Utah Utes men's basketball was something that I saw that they lacked was size and physicality would lose them games. Like sometimes they had the shooting that would keep them in. We had teams that were like kind of good, like Oregon, but Oregon would win because they had such physicality and they had size that, you know, could put high school athletes with five stars and four stars just because of how they look. And with this jazz team, you have these big guys. And I think they're able to create not only havoc on offense, but on defense as well. And I think we saw that in the second game against Memphis on Monday night, where you just saw the way that they can close space all over the floor, especially with Markinen. I just think when you put him at the three or the four, you're taking him out of the paint at times and out onto the wings. And so it limits what Memphis was able to do. Obviously, Jaw's going to be able to get his points, but Markinen was able to create a bit of an effect on on defense last night. So I'm really liking what we're seeing so far from this Jazz team in terms of physicality, size, and especially what Laurie Markinen is doing. So, Richie, what's your second Jazz note for me? You know, I'm really stoked about this team, but I do have some concerns. Um, and one of them has been kind of what is our closing lineup going to be looking like every game? Um, so Will Hardy has ran six different closing lineups in each of them um, that Conley has been available. Conley has played and Lori Markinen has played. Those two guys have been consistent in every single one. Clarkson has played in most of them, except for the first one where Sexton played and had an amazing game winner over Nicole Jokic that sealed the game. Um, and we've had Beasley in there. We've had Vanderbilt in there. We've had Kelly Olynyk in there. Who's also had a game winner. So it just feels like, you know, it's kind of up in the air. Like I would like some consistency there. Um, Cause I do think those closing minutes of the game are so important. And when you can have consistency, it's really important. Um, I, I also have to just say, like, I really think Sexton should be a closer. Uh, he's Sexton has been great this season. And one of the things that he brings is a lot of intensity. And I kind of feel like you need that at the end of the game, a guy that can push the, push the pace, but also a guy that's just not scared of the moment. And he's never going to be scared of the moment. Um, I liked when he played with Mike. I like when he played with Clarkson. I think he has abilities where he could play with either or. And I feel like he would bring a lot to the closing lineup, but it does seem like we've been more in the direction of having Clark uh, Clarkson or Conley out there and Conley mostly because he's such a good playmaker and he's, he's such a smart vet that, you know, you need his late game decision-making, but I hope in the, as the season transitions that maybe there can be a transition there where Sexton kind of takes the reins because I do think his fearlessness is absolutely necessary in certain close game situations. Yeah, that's a very interesting stat that you brought up about the difference in closing lineups early in the season. I think Will Hardy, it could you could be saying that he's trying to find out who's really good closers because I feel like you can you can try those out at the beginning of the season and find your way as you navigate through. But I really like all the points that you brought up. I think Conley has to be a must because of his veteran presence and I think as a player He just has an essence of calm that I think I find really comforting as a fan where I trust him in difficult moments. If we need to come back, if we're in a tight game at the end of the ball game, I trust him with the ball and to make decisions with the offense. So I think Mike should stay in there. Obviously marketing again, another consistent player so far this season. I like what you brought up about Sexton though. His energy is like palpable especially going and seeing a game in person, he just brings a physicality that I felt was lacking at his position last year. Um, Mitchell can be really physical. Um, Donovan was super good in his rookie year. And I feel like he had that same kind of vibe where he was just battling for everything that he wanted. And, and Sexton has just brought that. And I feel like he's done that, you know, his entire short NBA career. Um, I do like the essence of maybe keeping the hot hand at the end. Maybe that's that's hard because it fluctuates so often, but it could be key for a specific game. Like you brought up the opener against Denver. Sexton just had the hot hand that game for whatever reason. And he was able to drive on the basket on the defending two-time MVP and make a basket. And so I think, would you rather, here's, here's a good question. Would you rather take a hot hand in a game or consistency? Because I feel like Quinn Snyder, usually aired on the side of consistency in almost every aspect of his coaching. 
but it seems like Will Hardy is kind of fluctuating and seeing what fits well. And maybe it depends on each game. So what would you rather have a hot hand or consistency? I think the argument for consistency is, you know, if there is a level of consistency with your closing lineup, then those guys are ready. Um, At the same time, if you have a guy that's having the hot hand, I feel like this wasn't something that we saw a lot out of Quinn Snyder. Like if Clarkson would put up like 20 in the third quarter, we wouldn't see a lot of Clarkson in the fourth quarter. Um, And I do think that's something that maybe needs to change, you know, maybe have some variety there. Like I feel like Malik Beasley has had fourth quarters where he's like kind of started to heat up and then, you know, he's been the guy to put in. Uh, I also do feel like the starting, the closing lineup will always change. Like I think there's always going to be an open spot because as of right now, I just don't trust Jared Vanderbilt to get through a full game without getting six fouls. Uh, (laughs) He's just, he's just proven that he's, you know, he's, he's growing. I really like him. I think he is a great player, but I do think he needs to kind of limit some of his fouling. Um, and Kelly Olynyk also fouls a lot and people take it at Ke- Kelly Olynyk really strongly in the paint. So there's um, it's understandable why he fouls. So I do think there always will be some level of variability within the closing lineup. And I do think you make a really good point about, you know, kind of having the hot guy um, be out there to close. Uh, I do think you kind of do have to stick to like certain guys though. Um, yeah, I think Markinen is Markinen's for sure. You know, you're not going to put him on the bench because I just think he does so much on both ends right now where he's invaluable just because he's out there and because of his gravity. Um, and I think like those, you're kind of going to have to establish yourself a little bit, but you also have to just be flexible as a coach. It's, it's a weird balance that you have to make. Yeah. I think it's been interesting to see the different coaching styles that Will Hardy and Quinn Snyder have had. I know it's only been a few games where we've been able to see how Hardy coaches, but I've been very intrigued by what he's been able to do. And that's, that leads into my second uh, jazz note for this episode. I think Will Hardy, what he's been able to do, especially with this, these clumps of players that were put together through trade builds and, you know, gathering for assets, the what he's been able to accomplish with these different rotations in this roster, I think has been such a tribute to how he coaches his players. I Maybe that's too early for me to say, probably is, you know, we can wait on how we judge how he coaches until the end of the season, but I'm liking what I'm seeing so far. And I think a, a big part of that is he has been able to learn from some of the best. I think that's what attracted the Jazz to hire him in the first place was he was able to learn in San Antonio and obviously with Greg Popovich, who will be in the Hall of Fame without a doubt, you're able to learn from a coach like that. And he started off as like a video coordinator, right? But even being in an environment with a coach like that, you can learn Popovich for the, he's gotten a little bit worse, you know, when, when there's some heated calls, but for the most part, he is like reserve always has a game plan and he is incredible at coming up with plays and creating the most out of a roster that he's given. Then you go over to the Celtics. And again, like you mentioned before, the Celtics struggled in the first half of the year, but then at the end, they really, it seems like there was just a huge culture shift and the vibe of the team completely changed. So I feel like Will Hardy kind of got a sense of how to build a culture while also creating a good coaching identity Um, throughout his career before becoming an NBA head coach. So I have to say that his coaching has been phenomenal through these first few games. I'm excited to see how he does because the month of November seems pretty brutal for this Jazz team coming up. We got a lot of back-to-backs. We're playing the top teams in the NBA. Um, We got Dallas um, tomorrow night, but as everyone, most of you will be hearing it. So, you know, tonight, I guess you could say, and Um, they're going to be playing Phoenix and Golden State on a back-to-back in a few weeks. I I just think he can be prepared for this moment. I'm excited to see how he does going on. I have a question for you. For sure. If, if let's just, let's play out the the entire season right now. Let's say the Jazz end up getting a playoff spot. Does Will Hardy win coach of the year? Ooh, that is a good question. I think... Um, let me, let me go a little bit further with this hypothetical. What seed would you say we would have? Would we be playing say, or like realistically, we're probably a set. We're a play in team seven or eight. Okay. I, 
I think he definitely would be up for consideration. Um, I definitely think he should be because with this roster, I think most of the predictions had the Jazz as like a bottom three team in the West, maybe a bottom three team overall. Um, I, I'm interested to see what happens with future trades. There has been rumors that the Lakers have been coming back in a conversation. Um, the Jazz might be looking to trade their veterans once again. But if they keep this roster and they want to keep it because they might see something that they could build again and still have assets for the future, um, I absolutely think he should be in consideration for coach of the year. Um, especially with the way they're playing right now, the Jazz are a top five team in the NBA right now, which is crazy to say. They're the um, As of yesterday, they were the only team with six wins. And Laurie Markinen was putting up, has been putting up all-star stats, as I said before. So I think he has the what do I say? The, um, the resume, he has the resume of a coach of the year. So for sure. Yeah. I'd put him in that. Wouldn't it be hilarious if Will Hardy in his first year got coach of the year after Jerry Sloan, who had multiple one seed teams and Quinn Snyder, who had a one seed team, didn't get it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That I did not bring that into consideration. That would be wild. That'd be insane. Um, and, I, and I think that's the reason he probably won't get it because it's Utah. That's true. I, I think Quinn should have won it when Utah had the, the one seed um, overall. Um, and I, I don't, re- I don't remember. I don't know if Utah has won GM of the year. Did, did we ever get that during the Quinn era? Um, we might've, I don't know. I don't know. Those are, those are kind of obscure. Words. <laughs> but um yeah, Quinn, Quinn, again, one of the great coaches in, in Utah Jazz history, never won it. And again, he was a great coach. Obviously, he had some flaws and he had to part ways with the organization. But that would be hilarious if Will Hardy won it without, you know, with becoming a play in team for the playoff. So that's a that's a good point you brought up. Um, we were talking about trades before. I think that was one of your questions that you had about the Jazz right now. What was your question um, along the lines of trading with with this Utah team? Well, I think the front office finds themselves in an interesting spot right now. Um, it was clear with the moves we made this summer that this Jazz team is tanking um, and that, you know, we're not really trying to win as many games as we can, but we're maybe tanking isn't the right word, but rebuilding is the right word. Um, we're definitely in a stage where we're rebuilding. We're starting from basically scratch, um, save a few exceptions. And so if you're the jazz front office, do you further go down that road where you're trading more players, trying to get even more assets, or do you kind of let things play out? And I would say you kind of let things play out for right now. I think the way that this jazz team has started their season, they get to define their own destiny. I think the players and the coaches have all deserved that. Because the expectations um, league-wide, even for us as fans, were very low. And this team has exceeded all expectations. And because of that, I think they do deserve an opportunity to try and, you know, get into the play-in conversation or try to win as many games as they can. However, if things do start to look south, you know, if the Jazz find themselves by game 30 that they're just kind of like 10 and 20 or something – and not in a good spot and are kind of at the bottom with not a lot looking up, I would think that the jazz should be open to calls. Um, Today, there was actually a report from Shams of the athletic um, stating that teams have been calling basically every day inquiring about Jordan Clarkson and Malik Beasley. I think those two guys especially are valuable. They're veterans and they can play on both sides of the ball and Clarkson has been having one heck of a year and Beasley's also been playing great. And so there is definitely interest in lots of these jazz guys. I think you could even look at like Rudy Gay, who's been playing great so far this year or Mike Conley and teams are going to be inquiring. They're going to be calling. They're going to be looking to establish some veteran presence, especially as things get closer to the trade deadline, as more injuries happen and teams are trying to fill in gaps. But I think if you're the jazz for the moment, you kind of, I think you let the players play this out um, unless there's an offer that you're blown away with. And that's always been the case with this jazz, especially the last summer is they didn't force any moves until there was an offer that they were blown away with. 
And if you look at the return we got, I think we got the win on both sides of those trades. Um, and I think the Jazz just kind of have to keep that mentality to not give up anything, especially with the way this team is playing. And they should just try to focus on, you know, letting this team be this team, letting them play, letting them try to win games until the thing kind of until the team kind of feels like it's run its course. Yeah, you bring up a very good point. The Jazz front office is in a very difficult situation. They've never really come out and said what their purpose is when they made those two mind-blowing trades. But it seemed apparent for the most part that the public was pretty confident that they were on the the hashtag tank note um, train. But Tony Jones at The Athletic reported or tweeted a few days ago that that was never their intention. And they were, like you said, using the word kind of retool and rebuild. But I think there are some, at least I think that they would keep marketing as a consistent player through this rebuild process. Um, again, those other players, I think, can definitely fluctuate. But you can still play this out. You can still be a play-in, playoff team. Because, again, just from the Rudy Gobert trade alone, you have a lot of assets moving forward. And again, with the Donovan trade, you have even more assets. And... I trust Danny Ainge with his rate of success building through the draft. He can, he can make a good roster. Like he has the evidence and the resume to prove it. So if you have some of these players, if you let them play out and if their play stays consistent, maybe you keep some of these guys like maybe Clarkson and marketing through this rebuild. And then you, once you build up through the draft, you can have a solid team in a few years. I think halfway through the season if they're if we are 10 and 20 they have to have one or two players they'll keep through i'm interested i'm i think clarkson obviously is the most interesting not the one that's being most reported about maybe moving um but clarkson again has been very vocal about i know this doesn't matter and jazz fans do this all the time but he's been very vocal about he's loving utah and all that type of stuff and i think it's funny that most of the time the the guys that love being in Utah are kind of the trade assets that we use in the future, but that's just the sad reality of, of the NBA. It's not really like any star really wants to stay here for their entire career, maybe except Rudy Gobert, but um, Clarkson's proven that he wants to play here and he's kind of, he's bought, he's already bought into the system that Hardy has. And I think this jazz team can really go far and then use the assets that they acquired from those really good trades over the summer. The Rudy Gobert trade changed the entire course of probably the NBA offseason because I think we talked we heard about Kevin Durant wanting to get out of Brooklyn. And I, I just think that how much the Jazz got back for one player just showed the rest of the NBA like, oh my gosh, well if Rudy Gobert got, you know, if the Jazz got that many draft picks for Rudy, then if we're, you know, selling Kevin Durant, we need a whole lot more. So good job on Danny Ainge in the summer to make some key moves. But now it's a it's a pretty hard question to ask, but I think you keep a few players, in my opinion. I think Markinen and Clarkson should be staying through this rebuild and maybe look at some other options. Uh, again, I think it depends probably over the first half of the season um, what goes on in that front office, but that's a good question to bring up. I like that one. All right, um, my last jazz note. I really loved what I saw. My The game I went to in person was Monday's, Monday night's game against Memphis was the urgency on defense from the jazz. Um, I guess I've been used to um, Donovan Mitchell's uh, defense these last few years and, and Rudy Gobert really taking the heat from jazz fans in the playoffs when Quinn Snyder has a, a lack of um, adjusting to lineups. And so Rudy kind of gets left out in the dust. I just really like the intensity from everyone. We talked about Sexton earlier. I know he sometimes fouls because he turns into a little bit of a young bull as everyone likes to call him. But I, I just think, seeing the urgency that they have just really proves to me like they're bought into the system and they really want to play the game. Um, I think last time I checked a few games before they were top 10 in defense um, in the NBA, which is awesome because again, with this group of players that are coming from all around the league, being able to come together and build a cohesive unit on defense has been awesome. And especially you don't have an all time defender down in the paint you're able to mix some things up. And especially what I saw last night from, from marketing, he's kind of been iffy at times when people drive in on the paint. I feel like he's been kind of left in the dust with his footing, but I really liked what I saw, especially going up against jaw a few times where he was able to keep his composure and limit some buckets. 
So Richie, what is your, what has your thoughts been about this jazz defense so far this season? One of the things I love about this jazz defense is I feel like it's been the antithesis of what the jazz defense was last year. The jazz defense had this whole ideology that, you know, everybody was just going to funnel everything to Rudy Gobert because Rudy Gobert is a generational defender and he's an incredible shot blocker. And so if you're able to force them off the perimeter and into the paint, then you have this guy, Rudy Gobert, in there to block shots. And so the Jazz, they wouldn't force a lot of steals. They wouldn't really get out in transition. Um, it was kind of just stay in front of your guy as much as you could and then just funnel him into Rudy Gobert. And it has been so different this year. Currently, the Jazz have the eighth best defense in the NBA. They're forcing the second most steals in the league and fifth most blocks. So you can see that there is still like this desire to defend, but it's a completely different scheme. Um, I think, and I think it really plays better to some of the strengths of our guys who are able to get into those passing lanes, who have size. And I really feel like this defense could hold up. Um, I do think Jared Vanderbilt has been key to this defense. Um, Sexton brings a ton of intensity, but I watched Jared Vanderbilt and I feel like he has these moments that are almost dead Dennis Rodman-esque. Um, he'll like, <laughs> he'll be going for a defensive rebound and it'll tip it. Like, I don't know if you've seen those videos of Dennis Rodman just tipping the ball like a hundred different times yeah. um, just to grab the rebound. I feel like Jared Vanderbilt brings a little bit of that. Um, and honestly, I just feel like looking at this jazz defense, I don't know if it's totally sustainable, but I really like the the structure of it. I like the ideals of it better than I liked what happened last year. Granted, it's different personnel. So you're obviously going to play to the strengths of your personnel, but I do think just as a defense, um, the way to really kind of disrupt certain teams is to get into those passing lanes um, to force steals, to force blocks. And, you know, we haven't been a great defensive rebounding team so far. We're 20th in the league, but I do think, with our size, that number could improve. And overall, I'm excited about this defense. I think they've shown a lot, um, a lot to be happy about. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I, I think that especially um, against Memphis, I saw the execution on defense led to offensive opportunities in the transition. Although they didn't make you know a ton of those sh shots in transition, it just created open space, which I thought was so good to see from this unit. Um, especially because defensively in transition, they didn't look as, as great, but creating opportunities um, in the half court on defense to then move it forward and, and kick the ball around. Oh my gosh. That's another thing that's been so beautiful is the amount of passing from this team, just chef's kiss. It's, it's so beautiful, but I love what this defense has been doing. I love what this jazz team has been doing. It's been great so far. So we're excited for what's to come, but of course, we got to talk about our Utes as well. They're in the thick of it right now in football. Again, like we stated before, number 14 in the college football playoff poll in the thick of the Pac-12 championship race. I believe right now they would technically sit at number three. So just sitting outside that top two that makes it to Vegas. Richie, give me your first note about this Utah Utes team so far this season. Man, uh, it's been kind of an up and down season just compared to where our expectations were. I think it hasn't totally met expectations. That being said, uh, I do think there are certain strengths and certain weaknesses we have. Um, one of the things that has concerned me as I've watched this Utah defense is they're weak on the outside. I feel like this got exposed against USC, UCLA, and Oregon State. And we've kind of shored up some of those um, gaps, and we've been a little bit better every game since that Oregon State game, since that UCLA game, I would say. I think UCLA really exposed it more than any other team, but it just feels like we've been weak on the outside. Um, and, you know, teams have been running to the outside. US, UCLA, it seemed like they had multiple trick plays where, you know, they'd start running one way and then um, throw a pitch and start going the other way. And we just had nobody on the outside and they got really big plays like that. And so I've just kind of been worried about that watching that. Cause I do think it's something that, can continue to be exposed by other teams. But that being said, I do think Utah has had some success where they have been able to kind of shore up some of those weaknesses. 
Um, I'll be interested to see how they fare against Arizona and Stanford these next couple of weeks. Um, they're not quite the explosive offenses like USC and UCLA, but if Utah is able to continue to share some of those gaps, then it'll really help as they prepare to go on against um, Oregon, who's having a great year. Um, I'm also a little bit worried about, you know, Utah's just their gen, their ability to tackle. Um, it's kind of, it's kind of been hard to watch. I feel like, uh, I mean, there's just been so many missed tackles. It's, it's, it's frustrating. And it's just so weird from a Kyle Whittingham team. You're not used to having this many guys kind of um, be faulty in, in such a seemingly simple part of the game, but it has been a weakness for sure. Um, right now, Utah is 35th in points allowed per game. Um, they're allowing 38.2 points per game. And, you know, that it's just it's uncharacteristic of a Kyle Whittingham team, but we are still winning games. And I feel like you can you can fix some some of these issues on the defensive side of the ball. So I do think, you know, these last couple of weeks where they had a bye and then 10 days between last game and this game. I do think it gives them time to continue to improve, to kind of shore up some of their gaps. So it'll be really interesting to see how they play against Arizona. For sure. I think Arizona proved in this last game against USC with their spread offense, like they can create some havoc. I, they dropped a lot of points on that USC defense. Not saying that the Trojan defense is any good by any means, but they're able to put up points. Um, another interesting stat is that Utah still leads the Pac-12 in yards allowed per game, which is crazy because, again, this is not a defense that we're used to under the Kyle Whittingham era. You mentioned missed tackles before, and I think – we had a lot of high expectations going into the season, especially for the offense, but also for the defense. I think just because some guys got injured last year and some of the young guys had to step up and they eventually did, but I think they kind of kind of lost that at the beginning of the season. I mean, we had Cole Bishop off of his true freshman season and those last four or five games became, in my opinion, one of the best safeties in the conference. And so I, I had a lot of trust in, in that back end. And I thought I trusted enough in the in the defensive front. Um, for me, I think what's been a little lackluster has kind of been the linebacker play. And I think, especially when you use, you know, and now an NFL linebacker in Devin Lloyd and an all-Pac-12 guy in Nephi Sewell, you're obviously going to have a drop down from what you had before. I think RJ Hubert's been able to step it up and having Mo Diabate at times has been really good with his experience. But we've been having to play um, Lander Barton a ton as a, a true freshman at the linebacker spot. And I think the youth of this defense has also been kind of the reason for most of the problems in a lot of these games with the missed tackling, missed assignments. Scally said that he tried to keep things a little bit more simple, um, narrow the playbook down a little bit. I feel like that helped because in the Washington state game, I don't think we saw more screen. I've I, at least, I don't think I've ever seen more screen plays by a team in one game uh, than I did against Washington state. And they were actually able to control it pretty well. I feel like they were able to bounce out and, and control those plays where it was out on the outside a little bit, but man, the, those UCLA and USC games were, were so hard to watch because they were attacking the outside, as you were saying before, which has been such a bummer. Cause again, we're used to such a stout defense and the defense keeping us in games. And that goes along with my first note. Under Kyle Whittingham in the first era, the first few years of the Pac-12, we've been used to defense and special teams being good. And the special teams, especially in the last, I don't know, maybe since the Utes have actually been competing in Pac-12 championships, they have not been good. And I don't know if they need to go like recruit better um, or if they need to go out and grab someone in the transfer portal. Everything about special teams has just been lackluster the entire year. Obviously, when you think of special teams, you immediately go to field goals and punts. But I think the biggest game changer right now has been kickoffs, which is wild because no one ever thinks about kickoffs. But it has flipped the field for our opponents in crucial times almost the entire year. I think about um, the UCLA game where they would return it to the 40 or 50 yard line on a consistent basis because our offense was able to score pretty well but then you're putting the defense already on their own side of the field and they have to stop a really good offense like UCLA or USC. And I think it also just halts momentum. I never thought about kickoffs before. Like it should be simple. Like, you know, again, I guess I can't really say anything because I don't have a leg, but if you're a college football kicker, I feel like you should be able to kick it through the end zone. 
but it has been so tough for these Utah kickers so far. And there's been a lot of fluctuation between who's kicking off, who's doing field goals, PATs, punts. Man, it's been so rough. And I just think it is such a momentum killer. Um, when you, when you think about special teams, you think they're just the other guys that kind of help the team, but man, it can be such a breaker um, in big time games. Think about last year. I think it was our punting that was just absolutely abysmal. And in almost all the games that Utah lost, there was a blocked punt. Luckily we haven't seen any of that this year, but the special teams has just been such a disappointing thing for me, Richie. So um, do you have any thoughts about the special teams or. I only have one thought. It's embarrassing to be in a position as a fan where you're cheering because your kicker kicks it into the end zone. And that's where <laughs> we're at with this special teams. I'll just leave it at that. That's perfect. I love it. Um, all right, Richie, give me, give me into your second Utah Utes notes. Well, I think as we look at this Utah offense, um, especially with Keithy going down with Kincaid being gone for this next uh, matchup against Arizona, I think you kind of have to start looking at your other guys. I think Vele has really asserted himself as a true wide receiver, number one option. He's been great. His hands are great. I feel like he's always making great plays, great blocks. Um, he's just been everything you could really want, but he hasn't really been the guy to go to for really big plays. Utah has been using Money Parks and Jalen Dixon for those big plays. Um, so currently I want to I read some stats off both these two. Money Parks, he's rushed for three carries on 17 yards, so 5.7 yards per carry. That's pretty, that's pretty good. Yeah. Um, he's receiving. He's receiving, though. He's gotten 13 receptions for 235 yards, so that's 18.1 yards on average per reception. Wow. Um, Jalen Dixon has, from rushing, uh, he's had three carries for 55 yards, so that's 18.3 yards per carry. And he's had 10 receptions for 124 yards, so 12.4 yards per care, per reception. So these two guys, I feel like they are kind of the playmakers you want. Um, you know, one of the things that people were worried about when looking at this Utah team is who's going to be that dynamic playmaker now that Keith is, is down, um, now that Kincaid is down, because those two guys are such good playmakers from the tight end position or whatever position Keithy is, uh, wide receiver, tight end hybrid. Um, but looking at Money Parks and Jalen Dixon, I feel like they have a lot of talent and they're able to make really big plays. Kind of in the past, we've only used them in like certain situations on uh, special plays and they've really made the most of their opportunities. Um, I think they do need to get just a little bit more. Uh, I'd like to get some more targets to them. Um, Money Parks had that great catch against Washington State. That was, you know, it, just an incredible catch, only rivaled by the one-handed catch um, of Arizona against USC last week. But I just think these two guys, they've got a lot of talent. They're going to need to step up. I think Vele will kind of be um, maybe the center of the passing game. And if you're able to use Jalen Dixon and Money Parks in certain situations, I think it's going to go a long way for this Utah team that, might be struggling with their offense the next couple. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that Vele will be the center of this offense because he's one of Rising's favorites, as we've just seen from, you know, this first half of the season. But I think that Parks and Dixon have a speed and an athleticism that sets them apart from the other receivers. They remind me a lot of the type of recruits that Oregon usually picks up. And I like that we've been using them in the sweet packages. Um Dixon was usually a backup to Britton Covey and Britton Covey of course is going to be an all-time Utah favorite, but Dixon and Parks have a speed that I have not seen in a very long time. I think maybe the last Utah player that kind of reminds me of these guys is maybe Corey Butler bird from like 2016 where we would use him as well. And he just seemed to be untackable when he was moving sideways. And I think you can shift the field with these players. Um, Again, Dixon showed he can be able to stretch and make tough catches. Uh, Bryson Barnes put it right on the money for Parks, but he had to catch it in a very tight window. I just think they have a speed that can set them apart from the defenders, especially over the next two weeks in teams like Arizona and Stanford. You can be able to beat them on a lot of different um, with a lot of different weapons, but I think speed has to be one of them. You have better recruits you have more athleticism and who you have on your roster parks and dixon have to be 
a big key in how they go moving forward on offense. But a question I had in terms of the offense was about the pig farmer himself, Bryson Barnes. Um, like we stated in the opener, he went 17 for 27, 175 yards, a touchdown. Before that game, um, he was eight for eight with two touchdowns. So, I mean, the dude's a baller, but he's it, the offense, of course, seemed a little bit slow. We only scored 21 points, our lowest outing of the season. Richie, do you think that Bryson Barnes can be the leader of a Utah team that could compete for a Pac-12 championship? I think that's a really good question because we have to consider the context of which we saw Bryson Barnes in. So we've seen him in two real like competitive situations. The first was in the Rose Bowl after Cam Rising went down. And, you know, he played all right. He had a great touchdown pass. Um, I think we all kind of thought like, okay, maybe that's a little bit fluky. Um, but then he came back in this Washington State game where he was basically given 45 minutes of notice that he was going to be the starting quarterback. That's just like, it's incredible that he was able to be the starting quarterback when he didn't get the kind of notice because being a quarterback, there's so much preparation that goes into it. There's so much game planning. You got, to, you, got you have to be on the same page as, as the coach. I just think like there's a lot that goes into it but he has shown that he was flexible. And I think the only thing that mattered from what he did that game was get, get a win. Um, I think that was like, I mean, that's obviously priority number one, but the fact that he was able to do that goes to show that he's kind of the, the player that's going to, you know, help you win games. I think he does a lot of things really great. I think he definitely has room to improve. Um, I felt like there were some throws that he maybe missed and some some reads that he missed. Um, but I do think he has a lot of potential. Um, one thing I really did like about him was his willingness to run. I feel like just having a quarterback that's able to run, that's able to scramble a little bit, it just keeps the defense on their toes. And we've seen that with Rising as he's pretty much emerged as our number one running back. Um, <laughs> that it just it helps so much when you have a quarterback that can run. And that's kind of where the game has been going for the last couple of years, especially in the NFL with the emergence of so many good running quarterbacks. And we're seeing that more in the college game. I think, you know, if he's able to keep up that running, then that's a really good option to have. And he could be successful. I do think other parts of his game will come together. He's obviously a very cerebral guy. He has a good feel for the game. He's not scared of the moment. I think things like that are really going to help him. Um, and who knows, maybe next year he is our starting quarterback. Yeah, he's been able to put up a performance in some difficult games that I don't think any other walk-on could be able to do. Like the Rose Bowl, for example, you're in a very contested matchup. You're down by seven, you know, a few minutes left on the clock in the fourth quarter and to be able to throw such a dime in the end zone with everyone watching. I think it's funny that you go from a guy from Milford, Utah to being on the biggest stage of college football outside of the playoff in the Rose Bowl and make a throw like that. And again, like you said before, quarterbacks have, I think uh, another thing was the amount of reps you have to get before going into a game. There is such a drastic difference between the amount of reps your QB one gets versus your QB two. Um, so it's basically like cam has all this time to warm up for a game, to prep, to scout out what the defensive scheme is going to look like while Bryson is still able to study, but not at the same rate that rising is. And so for him to go into a game like that, again, in a situation where this team needs to win out to go to a Pac-12 championship again, and he was able to put up a performance like that, were they able to beat a Washington state team, which I think is, is pretty good. Um, and I think that showed his level of maturity as, as a backup to walk in with little notice and just to be able to come out with a win. I don't think any of us were hoping or expecting like a 40 point performance once we realized that Bryson Barnes was going to be the quarterback for the game. But I, I loved um, how much he was willing to put his body on the line in a few instances. Maybe that's bad because he's like our last hope at QB if Cam is out for a few more weeks. But I, I like his running ability, like you said before, um, his little 25-yard scramble. At that point, I'm able to trust what he sees, and I can 
I can hope that he knows what he's doing when he rolls out of that pocket. He missed a few reads, obviously, but I think that comes with time. I think the more you you get more reps in a live game in college football, the more you'll be able to understand how it all works out and it all comes together for you. But I liked what he's put up so far. It'll be interesting to see if now you go to Saturday against Arizona, who I think is better than the record reflects. I think it's the same kind of Arizona team as last year, where last year the Wildcats were 1-11, but I thought they were better than what their record showed. They put up a good fight with Utah last year, so... But this Saturday, potential weather impact on the game. Maybe Barnes is still in. Maybe no Kincaid. How can he perform then, especially with the way that the running back room is being handled right now? That'll be an interesting question to to see answered coming up on Saturday. But Richie, what's your final Utah note for me? Um, no, you you really transitioned right into it. Good job. Uh, I was going to talk about the running back struggles because I do think it has been kind of like this cloak been, that's been looming over the season this entire year. Um, I think we were all expecting Tavian Thomas to be the number one guy. And if you look at the stats, he has been the number one guy. He's had the most rushing attempts. He's rushed for the most yards. He's had the most rushing touchdowns. He's been great from a statistical standpoint, but there hasn't been the consistency that he had last year where when he had how many touchdowns? 22? Yeah, I think, had, I think he had 20 or 21. Okay, okay. Yeah, and set, set a score record. Um, and so we were all expecting him to come into this season um, to capitalize on a really big season, hopefully be in better shape. But it just hasn't seemed like he has really been the guy. I thought he had a really good game against UCLA specifically, and it felt like he was kind of starting to break out. And then kind of against USC, he didn't have as many reps and it looked like he might've been hurt, might've been on the sideline for certain parts of the game. Um, So there's just been some stuff going on there. Uh, People have speculated about what's going on behind the scenes. I don't really want to speculate about that because I'm not around the program. I'm not around the players. I don't like it's my, you know, decision or my uh, responsibility to speculate about that. But I do think, Thomas being a really good running back helps this Utah offense. Um, Bernard has had some struggles as well. It seems like he's had some health struggles. I feel like when he has played, he's been really great, but you know, there's been instances where he's cramping up or, you know, last week he was barely able to play. I was surprised he played like how many downs, like four downs or something. Um, Bernard is very valuable. He gives you a passing threat. He's probably our best running back blocker. Um, he's been great at that. You, you'll see him like just dive at players when they're coming out rising and he blocks them, gives rising more time. I think it's great when we have him out on the, out there on the field. And I feel like he's almost transitioned into the running back one. Um, Jaquin and Jackson, his transition to running back has been interesting. I feel like he's shown flashes of what he could be. I think he's big, he's strong, he's really fast and he had some good reps against Washington state. He had that one where he just absolutely trucked the Washington state player. He had a couple like that actually. And it just kind of shows where his strength is. Um, He has had some issues handling the ball. And I think, you know, with more time settling into the position, hopefully those issues get resolved. Glover had a great week last week. I think he's probably the RB one of the future, but I don't think he's ready to step into that role right now. I do think there are situations where, you know, you might give Glover the ball. Um, But overall, this running back situation has kind of just been weird. And, you know, last year, I feel like there was a really good medium between the running back situation. We had Tavian Thomas, who was great in certain situations. We had TJ Pledger and McKay Bernard, and they were all, all three of those guys were great in certain situations. And Chris Curry was also a really good blocker in certain situations where you'd go, QB scramble or uh, QB sneak into the end zone. Um, And it just feels like this running back room hasn't found their identity the same way they did last year. All that being said, I do think our running game is going to be okay. As long as we have cam rising out there, because I really think he has shown that he can be so lethal when he's on his feet. Obviously we don't want him getting injured. That's the number one concern when quarterbacks are running, you don't want them getting injured. You don't want them fumbling the ball. I don't think, him turning it over is going to be a very big problem. Uh, He's shown time and time again that he's holding on to the ball, that he's steady with it. Um, But I would 
be worried about his injury um, and if he's prone to an injury, especially as you're kind of going down this last stretch of the season, you want him to be healthy. You want him to be the guy. Um, so I do think while it is a threat, it shouldn't be the number one threat. And I'm just hoping like, you know, somebody can really show that they're the running back number one this, this week, these next couple of weeks um, as we go into Oregon. Yeah. I think when you look at the running back room, it, it felt deep to me. I mean, especially right now, if you look at it on paper, it feels like a deep running back room, but I just think, especially with these injuries and all that type of stuff, it's just thrown it in, in a loop. I think right now, Chris Curry actually would have thrived if he was healthy, which makes me really sad because I like his build. Um, we saw some flashes early in the season where I thought, okay, maybe this might be the takeover of Chris Curry this year. You know, maybe if Tavion goes down and it, it just makes me sad that we weren't able to see that out of him because I feel like last year that was really deep running back room with those three. I'm interested to see, like you said, how this goes forward in the next two weeks. That's going to be the biggest question is how does this team perform against these bottom tier Pac-12 teams with the injuries that they have right now? And the running back room has to be the center of that focus outside of the quarterback is who's going to be able to make the most productivity on the field. Bernard, I think, is um, is really good in those screen plays and, you know, pass protection. Um, but Man, I, I'm very interested to see. I, I do agree with you. I think Glover is going to be the RB one of the future, but I think this might this might just be like a running back by committee until you might have one or two big breakout plays going down the stretch. So that'll be an interesting story to know. But let's finish off this episode with a new segment that's going to be on the Thatcher Effect, the Thatcher Effect draft segment. So, Richie, explain to our viewers what this will entail every episode. So, we are going to be drafting our starting fives of whatever category. Um, This week, the category is TV characters, both animated and real-life characters. Um, So, this week, I'll I'll have the first pick, and Nate will draft after me, and we'll look at our starting five, and we'll draft... And then hopefully the viewers can just help us decide which starting five is better, which would which would win or, you know, which is just objectively the better starting five. I like it. All right, Richie, start us off. What's your number one pick? All right. It's it's really hard to turn this down. You know, if you have the number one pick, you're going to choose LeBron. You're going to choose the number one guy. Right. Unless unless. Of course. Yeah. You know, you're just going to choose the number one guy. So I'm choosing Michael Scott. I like it. What, what, <laughs> posi- what position are you putting him at? Oh, you know, if, if you've seen the basketball episode, you know he's a true shooting guard. He always wants the ball in his hands. He always wants to shoot. He'd be great at it. I love it. That's a good solid number one pick. I'll keep it in the same category with the number two pick overall. I'm going to go with Kevin Malone at the center position. My reasoning for this pick was, although he hasn't technically played a game off of film, what we do know, he has not missed a shot. I mean, I think he made like four or five in a row from deep in the basketball episode. So if I got a big boy that can shoot, I'm taking him. So I'm going to go with Kevin Malone as my first pick. I like it. You can't go wrong with that. Um, For me, from the point guard position, I'm choosing Walter White. Anybody that's seen Breaking Bad knows he's a genius. He's got that dog in him. He's just the guy you want leading you through the lines. You know, he, he's, he's the ultimate leader. And I feel like he'd get the best out of his guys. So I'm taking Walter White at the point guard position. I like it. I like it. Okay. With my second pick at the shooting guard position, I'm going to choose Crosshair from the Bad Batch in Star Wars. Oh, wow. Um, from what I know, that guy never misses. And that's exactly what I wanted a shooting guard. He always follows the rules, so I know whatever coach says, he's going to do it. So I'm going to go with Crosshair for my number two pick. Dude, I like it. Um, sticking along the Star Wars lines, at Power Forward, I'm bringing in the Mandalorian. Now, he's Ooh. not like your he's not your big Power Forward. He's more your P.J. Tucker, um, can guard all five positions. He is, he's great from, you know, the, the corner three. And he's just, he's reliable. That's what I like about him. So I'm taking Mando at the power forward position. I like it. That's a good one. All right, I'll keep things in the power forward position. With my third pick, I'm going to go with Sergeant Terry Jeffords from Brooklyn Nine-Nine. 
I mean, the dude's an absolute unit. Um, the dude can flex his pecs. He's picking up guys left and right. I'm sure he can shoot, but I like my size down in the paint with Kevin Malone and Sergeant Jeffords. So I'm going to go with the man himself, Scary Terry, at the power forward position. I like it. You know, looking at our draft and having the opportunity to draft one player at a time, I really feel like it's about matchups in a sense. So at my center position, I'm taking Ron Swanson because I just I think he's I think he's got the edge on Kevin Malone. You know, Kevin Malone might be bigger. Kevin Malone might be a lot bigger, actually. Um, but Ron <laughs> Swanson, he's gonna look at Kevin. He's gonna give him that look, and I just don't think Kevin's gonna respond. You know, I, I don't I don't see Kevin just standing up to Ron. So for that reason, I'm taking Ron Swanson at the center position. Wow, what a pick. And I do think he has an intimidation factor, so you might have me beat on that center position. All right, coming in at the point guard position, this might be a hot take, but I'm going to go with Lucas from Stranger Things just because I know he performs in clutch moments, taking off the bench, making the game-winning shot in the opening episode of season four. I, I like him. You know, you give him some chances to start and to thrive. He could He could provide useful for me in the future, so... I'm going to go with Lucas from Stranger Things at the point guard position. You can't go wrong with that. All right. As I'm going down the closing stretch for my last pick, I'm really looking at my team. I don't think I have enough shooters. So at the small four position, I'm taking Oliver Queen, the green arrow, because you just know he's a shooter. And he also never misses. Man, he's got a shot. All right, we'll go with my final pick. I'm going to go with Coach from New Girl. I mean, it's in the name. He's an athlete. He's just – he's bred to play the game. I, I think he's got what it takes. He's definitely got the athleticism. He's got – he gives me that LeBron-type feel, and I think maybe some needed comedy that that my team might need. So, Richie, let's go top to bottom. Start me out at the guard position. Go down your list, and then I'll do the same, and then we'll let the listeners decide who they think has the better roster. All right. At the one, we got Walter White. At the two, we got the second best Michael to ever play basketball, Michael Scott. At the, at the three, we got Green Arrow. Um, at the power forward position, we got the Mandalorian. And at center, we got Ron Swanson. That's that's a good lineup. All right, for me, point guard, Lucas from Stranger Things. Shooting guard, Crosshair. Small forward, Coach from New Girl. At the four, Sergeant Jeffords of the Brooklyn Nine-Nine unit. And at the center position in the paint, I got Kevin Malone. All right, guys, we'll let you decide who has the better starting five of all-time TV characters. But everyone, thank you all for listening. That's it for this week's edition of The Thatcher Effect. We hope you enjoyed it. Richie, any final thoughts? Um, you know, in the past, I always finish the episode with, it's a good time to be a Jazz fan. It's a good time to be a Utes fan. You know, it's just a good time to be alive. I love it. <laughs> I like it. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you. If you liked what you heard, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can also hear more about our episodes and contribute to weekly content by following us on Instagram at Thatcher Effect Podcast and on Twitter at RichieOsler3 and at NateThatcher15. We'd like to thank James Burchett for the intro music and the Basketball Podcast Network for hosting us. We'll see you next week.